Hello, and thank you for listening to Talent Up, Elevating Leaders. In this episode, Leader Onboarding's managing partner, Linda Reese, talks with Dennis Scherf from Fresenius Medical Care North America. Here, Linda and Dennis discuss how he successfully transitioned into his current role as Vice President of Procurement Operations. By using a structured onboarding process and remaining transparent with his team and stakeholders, Dennis has become a respected and successful leader in the company. Here is their conversation. Thank you, Jai. Dennis, thank you for joining us today. You're a procurement leader for Senius, and that's a very large global healthcare company that most of us are not aware of. I think in our work together, you suggested there were almost 300,000 employees at Fresenius. And before we talk about your experience transitioning into your new role, would you mind telling us a little bit about the business you're in and some of the different kinds of audiences they serve? Absolutely. So Fresenius as a holding has around 300,000 employees uh, globally and is basically split up in four divisions. Uh, Fresenius Helios is the largest hospital operator and provider of inpatient and outpatient in Germany. There are uh, over 110 hospitals, more than 30,000 beds. Uh, Fresenius Carby, it's actually the company I worked before I transferred to Fresenius Medical Care, is a supplier of IV drugs, clinical nutrition, and other medical devices. And then we do have uh, Fresenius Valmed, uh, that is in the engineering business uh, when it comes to uh, developing and managing healthcare facilities. And then finally, the company I currently work for, Fresenius Medical Care, the world leader in dialysis, both services as well as products. Uh, Fresenius Medical Care. Uh, as its own entity, has around 120,000 employees. The household name that isn't. Right. (laughs) Thank you. You were promoted as an internal move into your current role in 2018. And can you tell us a little bit about the role you hold and sort of the context for that role? What are some of the important things to know about you and your team? Yes, so I was first promoted in 2018 as the VP of North America Strategic Procurement, uh, had category managers reporting directly to me while the plant functions were still separate. So it was mostly a strategic procurement focus at that time. Now I'm responsible for procurement operations in the Americas region at GMQS, which is the Manufacturing Quality and Supply Division of Business Medical Care. So that scope changed a little bit in 2019. I still have uh, very strong ties to the strategic team, but uh, my current team and I make sure that our 12 plants in the region are providing the raw materials and services to produce the life-saving devices that we make. So a little bit more about uh, Fresenius Medical Care in that context, again, a market leader in dialysis products and services. So patients uh, with missing or deteriorating kidney functions require our treatment to survive. We strive to provide a future worth living for our patients every day worldwide. That's actually the slogan that we are using. As an example, uh, I want to mention with the current COVID crisis as well, we unfortunately saw acute kidney failures with around a third of the patients uh, who have been hospitalized. And Fresenius was able to quickly ramp up acute dialysis capacity to treat these patients. Wow, that's wonderful. And that's something I think most of us didn't really know or understand as a consequence of COVID. So it sounds like the business was able to pivot and be really relevant to its constituency in a time that was difficult because your work world was changing at the same time we were all dealing with changes, it sounds like. Is that correct? 
Absolutely. So if you look at my team, uh, I manage directly and indirectly around 40 procurement professionals who support 12 plans, eight in North America and four in South America. So they're all remote uh, to me. And I do have a team of seven local procurement leads directly reporting to me. I've been traveling a lot in the past. My last business trip was in March. So all of this is being done remotely now. And it's a big job uh, for them. They're responsible for the procurement performance at their local plant and also part of the plant management team. And then also uh, what I would call a procurement business partner for the local site leader. So our team is tasked with providing quality material and services according to our specification at the lowest delivered costs possible, managing our supply risk using innovative tools, engaging with stakeholders to bring innovation to the company, and help focusing on our core activities while providing competitive options to outsource our non-core activities, but especially with the creation of procurement operations to increase our transactional efficiency. I'm very proud of the team and how they handled the COVID crisis. Everybody is constantly going above and beyond to make sure the patients receive the treatments they need by keeping a close eye on the supply situation and making sure that our colleagues in manufacturing have sufficient PPE to produce our life-saving products. Just today, we had our weekly check-in call on COVID, and then tomorrow we have a leadership call with all the other functional leaders. And if you think about this, this is in addition to all the other procurement tasks that they're performing on a daily basis. Thankfully, technology helps with that interaction. But as, as I said before, I have to admit, I miss the visits to the sites and the face-to-face interaction. When we worked together and you were new in your role as a leader, one of the things that struck me, Dennis, was how you really leaned into your whole onboarding experience. You know, you were more like an HR leader than most operational leaders that I've worked with in terms of understanding the importance of teams, of what motivates people, of creating clarity around their roles and making sure that they're set up for success. And I was wondering, what is it about your background or your experience base that sort of caused you to latch onto the onboarding process the way you did? Because you were a highly committed leader and you did it even when it wasn't convenient. I strongly believe that a structured approach, ideally backed by science, can help significantly reduce the guesswork when it comes to formulating expectations, building relationships, quickly gaining business knowledge, setting up yourself in the most efficient way, and preparing for successful execution. You know, my, I have to say my experience with you was the first in that regard, and it definitely helped accelerating my onboarding. But I always took an interest in these types of things, as you mentioned. Well, and I do think one of the things that struck me in our work together was that you demonstrated prior knowledge of and an interest in best practices in both leadership and sort of organizational development or organizational dynamics. When you think about the role you entered and the work you did, how did that knowledge help you chart the course that you took and that you took your team on when you were completing your transition? Yes, you found out during the onboarding process, uh, I am a believer in the concept of servant leadership. And some of the aspects of this leadership concept apply very much to the onboarding process. There's a lot of listening required during the onboarding process. And also empathy, so really getting to know your team is extremely important for a successful onboarding experience. 
Another aspect of this leadership concept that comes to my mind, which is very applicable to onboarding self-awareness. And I have to say that my onboarding experience hit on all these aspects. Well, and I think it really drew on your strengths as a leader. And we'll talk more about that later on. But in the meantime, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Culture Snapshot. And that was an assessment tool that that we used to help you get a pretty rapid and comprehensive look into the operation you led and the impact that it had throughout Fresenius. And what was really interesting about it, Dennis, was that your results for your team and, and in terms of how they were perceived by your internal customers, the people who depended on your team, they thought your team was practically perfect. They didn't really see the barriers that existed to execution. They felt their needs were getting met. And we don't see that that often um, when we're working with leaders who are transitioning into new roles. Often there are just ways that the teams are constrained. And, and there were some real constraints for your team, but they managed to make it look pretty seamless when they were serving a global business. And I'm wondering sort of what it is about the team and the way they were working that you think caused them to be able to be experienced that way when it wasn't necessarily as easy to deliver results as they made it seem like it was? Yeah, I think there are two aspects here. The one is the constraints. The other one is the feedback. And if I may, I would like to talk to the first one. So I do find that the culture snapshot identified the clear need of the procurement team to receive stakeholder support to drive changes and deliver results. That's extremely important to know as a leader. So to that end, stakeholder management and particularly gaining stakeholder support has been front and center for me. In the 2018 role, as well as in the role that I started last year in July. <laughs> you could argue, if you look at my calendar, I have too many one-on-ones, <laughs> but I do believe it's crucial to build and maintain relationships with stakeholders. To get the support, the team ultimately needs to support the business in the most efficient and effective way. And then to the second part, uh, I mentioned before on the feedback, I'm, you know, first of all, I'm very happy about the positive feedback. It speaks to the effectiveness of the team in meeting the needs of our stakeholders and also highlights how important it is to constantly communicate and convey our success stories. The other side of the story, as I mentioned before, my job as a leader to work with the stakeholders to enable my team to overcome the constraints. As an example, if a team member identifies an opportunity to achieve savings and mitigate risk by qualifying a second source for a certain material, they need engineering resources to complete the qualification of the new supplier. An important part of convincing stakeholders to provide these resources is open and transparent communication of the category strategy so they understand the big picture of why we are proposing a certain activity or task. And these alignments are now happening on a regular basis. When we were doing the culture snapshot and the team alignment process, Dennis, one of the things I think we learned was that your team performed at a very high level for its internal stakeholders. But the other thing we learned was that it probably was coming at a cost to them as humans. And there was some question about whether perhaps that level of performance and the heroics that sometimes they had to engage in uh, wasn't taking too great a toll on them. And it did cost them something in terms of the dynamics within the team. And I was wondering if you could share a little of your thought process about what you observed about the team and then what you really changed about how you led them based on what you learned. Yes. So there was always a strong focus on the business. Uh, The team was working very hard as individuals. 
And there was certainly some room for improvement on uh, collaboration, which that situation made them also more vulnerable to burnout. So what we did is started to collaborate more. That's something that I was able to uh, transfer to my current role as well, which is you know reflecting upon that very, very similar to what we did back then in 2018. The whole team alignment process emphasized the importance of open and transparent communication about these topics, especially when it comes to outlining expectations. I think that is very important to understand what is expected of myself and uh, you know the types of feedback I get from my leader and also from my stakeholders and what do I have to put in for that. I have to say I found the team commitments to be a very useful tool, especially for this purpose. Well, and one thing that was definitely visible as an outsider was how much your team valued being engaged as really your peers. I mean, that's how you treated them. They were professionals. You were there to support them. Their opinions mattered. And it was just a really enjoyable process to observe because we saw them grow as a result of the way that you led them through this transition. And it reminded me that when someone is stretched to the max, is working really hard, that we can help them perform at a higher level without having them work more hours. It's really more about how we lead them and what we do to support them behind the scenes. And I think that your team's story is a great exemplification of that. Finally, the last real intervention we did in the onboarding process for you as a leader was something called Level Set Early Feedback. And that gave you the opportunity to get feedback from many stakeholders throughout the global organization about how you had navigated your transition to give you positive feedback and to reward you and reinforce you for the things they thought were going well, and to also help you understand where you might place your focus strategically if there were areas that were more challenging to move forward in in the business. And what I will say, if it's okay for me to say that, is you had exceptionally high scores in three areas that I think are essential to success for a new leader transition. And one was seeking input. The other was humility. And the third, which is related to both, I think, is listening. And so it was nice to see that you, as a human, were wired and also placed a priority on the things that cause leaders to be successful. And I wanted to find out from you when you got your feedback, if you remember what, what learnings you had from that feedback that were either most helpful or most meaningful to you. Yeah, understanding the thoughts of the hiring manager, the peers and other stakeholders early into the new role was very helpful to baseline and recalibrate. This exercise really helped to confirm that the focus areas I set for myself were the correct ones. As an example, I have made the understanding and reconciliation of stakeholder expectations a constant theme, also in my new role, and I would say that this served the company, my team, and myself very well. And I'd like to speak to stakeholder expectations and reconciling them. I know that I sort of said it in a joking way when I said it to you, but I said, you know, if I had my way, we'd throw away job descriptions and we would say that your job is the sum total of the expectations of the people who are key stakeholders to that job. You know, in a job description, your duties are laid out in a pretty clear and linear fashion other than the other duties as required part. But we find that when leaders enter new roles, such as the one that you entered, that sometimes 
the expectations can be in direct conflict with each other, not because anyone's arguing, but because you may have a global partner and a regional or local partner who have things that they need from you that require you to be in two places at once or to do two things differently, even though you must do them the same way. So I'm wondering when you talk about the reconciliation, was it something that you sort of actively put into your repertoire? I think that's what I heard you saying is just sort of listening for disconnects. Is that correct? Yes, actively seeking out the expectations instead of waiting for someone to come to you. That's something I can only recommend, uh, which will also help you to be much more proactive on setting the stage for future success. And that, that really helped with a lot of issues that we were anticipating and addressing them. I mean no disrespect to humans and corporations when I say this, but what we find is that the pace of work is so breakneck that Often people don't even think about the expectations they have for a new person until they're asked to slow down and articulate them. And so I think it's not just understanding and reconciling. I think it's almost like sort of seeding the cloud and getting them to think about and talk about the expectations they have so that you can more readily address them. Because we find that when that is not done with intent, you usually learn about their expectation when you have disappointed them. And I don't mean you as a leader, but I mean leaders in general. So did you find that it felt like, you know, the reconciliation of the expectations helped you avoid some conflict or speed through some things that would have taken longer if you'd done it a different way? I think so. I I truly do. And also it helped with enabling the team to be more successful and, you know, avoid some potential issues. Uh, with me sharing uh, what I learned from talking to our stakeholders. So it definitely also helped the stakeholders understand what our plans are, uh, what we believe is important, and again, reconcile with them on these uh, topics. Absolutely. And what I did observe with your team was that when you modeled this kind of behavior for them, and I'm thinking about the team alignment process in particular, I think they started understanding that in their work, they were, could bring information back to the team about expectations from those stakeholders. And they could do that proactively, head off issues, find ways to collaborate with their colleagues and identify patterns if those patterns existed. So I'm glad that it's a body of work that you believed in to start with, but that you've definitely continued to develop and move forward. And just an editorial comment about what you did and what your strengths were in the level set early feedback. I mean, although this was anonymous feedback, one of the things I really appreciated was there was a high level of engagement uh, from the people that completed the survey for you. And what I think, based on uh, looking at the data, is that the things you did built trust. They built trust in all directions. And when you have trust, you have open avenues for communication. And when you don't have trust, I believe the job gets a lot harder. So, you know, all these things are inherently self-reinforcing, but I do want to call out that, you know, I think that's part of the reason that you had an extraordinary transition. So we know from our work, and I think you know from the work we've done together in your own experiences, that even with support, that being a leader that's transitioning into a new role can be a daunting experience. And that perhaps even more so now in the time of COVID. Now, some organizations have hiring freezes in place. We are finding that essential leaders are being replaced. And I'm wondering 
what advice you have for a leader who might be listening, who's being promoted or hired from the outside, but starting a new job right now in this time when relationships are sort of different? Um, be true to yourself, be patient and recognize that it might take some time until you can make a significant impact. I'm not the most patient person on this world, so I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> be a very, very good listener. Take time to understand your team, peers, and stakeholders. And I know it can be challenging. You mentioned it before, Linda. You know, new leaders want to and also are supposed to bring quick results. That's fine. That's important. But you really need to take the time to understand team, peers, and stakeholders. Uh, you also should have a plan of what you want to accomplish. At the same time, be flexible to change the plan if business needs change. And then finally, and definitely not least importantly, take care of your family and maintain a good work-life balance. Absolutely, because you're caring for all these people. You've got to make sure that you have reserves when you come to work and that your family can support global travel or whatever it is that needs to happen. And besides, we want to spend time with them as well, right? When it comes to leading and developing teams in a time where people may not be able to sit across the table from each other right now, um, what do you think are the skills that a leader can bring when they're new in their role that are especially helpful? I mean, I think of you as a leader who really focused on communication and clarity. What are the things that you think can help someone who's got a new team to understand to really accelerate through the transition without missing important things? Well, first of all, going through a very structured program myself, I can highly recommend this for future leaders. Uh, it really helps you sort your thoughts. Uh, in general, I, I think mutual commitments are important, especially when you work remotely and you don't see your team face-to-face -face a lot, uh, as well as checking in on them regularly, also remotely. Also, you need to make sure you understand what your stakeholders need, how your team can contribute to the success of your stakeholders and ultimately propel the company. And at least equally important, you have to make sure your team has the means and tools to achieve this. I believe that a great leader has to be a great enabler. That makes sense. And I would suggest that you model that behavior. When we think about what makes leaders successful in their roles, especially coming from the outside, I know you were an internal move, but we think about knowledge, the ability to acquire and incorporate knowledge and then deploy it in the service of the business, relationships, and then access to and the ability to respond appropriately to feedback as being the most important things to new leader success. And we think really at the apex are the relationships that they make all the difference. So in this time of, you know, remote communication, if someone were to come into Fresenius from the outside, you know, of the organization, a different employer, what would you suggest they do to build high quality relationships as they're navigating the transition? Are there things they should be focusing on in the conversations that will help deepen the relationships? You know, what do you think is best in class or could be helpful to them? Well, I just filled one of my key positions on our Californian side with an external hire. So I just had this experience on top of what I mentioned uh, regarding the previous question. An external hire will also have to learn the business and the terminology of the company. That is a big part of the onboarding process too. And it needs to be added, right? To speak 
to the challenges and to understand the challenges the team and the stakeholders have, uh, you need to understand the terminology and what the business is trying to do. It is a <laughs> a big challenge to onboard somebody remotely enough to say, it's quite unfortunate that I was not able yet to meet that person in person, uh, hopefully soon. Technology certainly helps a lot, and I can only recommend to use it to the fullest extent to check in on a regular basis. And again, uh, I believe it is important to provide for that new hire, especially when the hire comes from the outside, to provide as much structure as possible as a leader. Absolutely. And, you know, we've found, Dennis, that structuring their initial meetings with their new colleagues is to help them be really intentional about who they're meeting with, why they're meeting with them, what kind of background information about the operation that that person may lead is important to know, and then really treating that meeting as a learning experience and getting that person's perspective on the deliverables that they're responsible for, the historical context between their areas of the organization, the ways that their team may or may not have met the needs of that key stakeholder they're meeting for the first time in the past, and what that person wants in order to have a successful future. And I think that's what you're referring to partly when you talk about structure, which is to have a really consistent approach to gathering information, because not only do you get high quality information, but you get someone who, again, trusts that you are there to be of service and your agenda is not you, your agenda is the organization. And I think it sends a really important message when people function that way. No, absolutely. And that is exactly what we did with the new leader in California. We set up uh, multiple of those uh, meet and greets. And when I checked in with them after the meetings, you know, he was able to speak to expectations challenges already very intelligently. So you as a leader can relate to that directly and can build on that directly. And that helps with just giving context, you know, not just listening, getting all the input from the leaders. That's great. But also building on that by this information being provided by other stakeholders, by other team members. I think uh, that just adds another quality as well. That's wonderful. Dennis, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Linda. And good luck to you. And I hope I'll have a chance to talk to you soon. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for listening. If you're looking to set up your new leader for success, or if you're seeking onboarding advice for yourself, visit www.leaderonboarding.com. If you would like to learn how Fresenius Medical Care North America contributes to the healthcare industry, visit their website at www.fmcna.com. Thank you for tuning in to Talent Up, Elevating Leaders.